When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast, a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll have only two parts on today's episode. We're not going to review the Juve game over the weekend. For an in-depth review of that match, check out the latest episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, which posted on Monday. In part one, we'll check on how our main competitors did in round 22 of Serie A. And in part two, we'll preview our Europa League match against Granada. So let's start with match day 22. Heading into the round, we were sitting in 6th place, 12 points back of Milan in 1st, and 10 points back of Inter in 2nd. Juve were in 3rd on 42 points, and Roma and Lazio were tied in 4th on 40 points. Atalanta were tied with us on 37 points, then there was a bit of a drop-off to Sassuolo, Hellas Verona, and Sampdoria, who rounded out the top 10. So let's start with the league leaders Milan, who played against Spezia. Spezia shocked Milan with a 2-0 victory on goals from Giulio Maggiore and Simone Bastoni. This was easily Milan's worst performance of the season. They were quite clearly the second best team in this match. Milan did not record a single shot on target in the entire match. I didn't see any sense of urgency and Milan looked like they were out of ideas. Spezia defended really well, but as we know, they don't simply sit back. That's not how this Spezia team plays. When they get the ball, they like to move it around and get forward. Spezia outshot Milan 15-7 in this match. You could see early on that Milan and Zlatan Ibrahimovic were getting frustrated. He was getting into deeper and deeper positions on the field, which is not where you want Zlatan playing. He doesn't have the pace to get forward that quickly on the counter. You'd rather he already be up there in the attack. 
Spezia scored both of their goals in a 10-minute span early in the second half. On the first goal, Kevin Agudelo did really well to win the ball from Teo Hernandez in the middle of the park. That started the counterattack. Agudelo played the ball to Emmanuel Giassi on the wing. He picked out Matteo Ricci's run in the area. Ricci was tackled by Alessio Romagnoli, but Spezia were fortunate that the ball fell for Giulio Maggiore for the tap-in. The second goal came in the 67th minute after Diogo Dallo fouled Ricardo Saponara at the edge of the area. VAR reviewed the play to see if it was a penalty and confirmed that it was not. The color commentator on the international feed was adamant that it was a penalty, but I think Daniele Kifi got it right. I actually think he's one of the better referees in Serie A. If you look at where Dallo's foot makes contact with Saponara's foot, it was in fact outside of the box, and then Saponara fell into the area. In the end, it didn't matter. Manuel Estevez played a short free kick to Simone Bastoni at the top of the box, and he fired an absolute rocket towards the back post and in. In the 79th minute, Ibrahimovic went to ground in the box looking for a penalty, but it wasn't given. Shortly after that, Mario Mandzukic had a header narrowly missed the goal. That was probably Milan's best chance of the match, which pretty much sums up how this game went for Milan. Spezia nearly added a third in the dying seconds of the match, but Lucas Acampora hit the frame of the goal with his shot from outside of the box. Vincenzo Italiano only made one substitution in the entire match, and it didn't come until the 83rd minute, but that's okay for a team that only plays once a week. That's pretty much what we used to do before the COVID compressed schedule. Spezia were playing really well, so there was no need to mess with it. I was really impressed that Spezia played their game for the full 90 minutes. Most clubs, even the big ones, would have dropped back at some point to protect the lead, but Spezia didn't do that. They just kept on playing their game, and they walked away with three well-deserved points. Meanwhile, for Milan, this was their first away defeat in a full year. So with Milan losing, Inter had the opportunity to move to the top of the table for longer than a day, but they were in tough against an informed Lazio side. Lazio came into this match having won their previous six, but Inter got the job done with what turned out to be a very convincing 3-1 win. Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez scored for Inter, while Sergei Milinkovic-Savage scored for Lazio. This match lived up to all the hype, though perhaps for the wrong reasons. It was a very intriguing matchup between two managers who play very similar styles of football in Antonio Conte and Simone Inzaghi. Lazio actually had more of the ball early on with Inter set up to counter. Both sides looked very organized, and early on, it seemed like this was going to be a bit of a chess match. Then things got a little controversial. In the 20th minute, Lautaro broke free to the goal after a quick interplay between Christian Eriksen and Romelu Lukaku. Wesley Hote, who started over the injured Stefan Radu, attempted the slide tackle from behind and appeared to get a touch on the ball, but Michael Fabri awarded the penalty. There was plenty of debate online about whether or not this was a penalty. Personally, I think it was pretty clear. First of all, for a little while now, Serie A officials have been calling fouls like this differently than they used to. In the past, if you tackled a player but got the ball first, a foul was not given regardless of whether the defending player also took out the opposition player. At some point, that rule changed such that even if you get the ball first, if you take out the opposition player, it's still a foul. So it doesn't actually matter whether Holt got to the ball first or not. Second of all, the VAR replay clearly shows that Holt didn't get to the ball first. His trailing leg caught the back of Lautaro's right foot just before Holt got to the ball. Now, you could argue whether that constitutes a foul or not, but I've talked about this numerous times on the pod. Nowadays, if a player goes down in the area and there's even the slightest bit of contact, that penalty will be given, and that has actually been called very consistently. 
Last thing I'll say about this play is more for the advanced metrics crowd, which is that Hoth attempted a very low percentage tackle there. I wouldn't be surprised if the analytics suggest that he would have been better off taking his chances and letting Lautaro shoot, especially when you consider the form that Lautaro has been in lately. So the penalty was given and Romelu Lukaku converted it to score his 15th of the season and his 21st in all competitions. Lukaku was by far the man of the match. When he plays the way he did in this match, there's little anyone can do to stop him. Lukaku scored Inter's second goal as well just before the half. Once again, Inter were pretty fortunate. Lukaku was originally ruled offside, but the VAR reviewed the play and confirmed that in fact he was onside. Marcelo Brozovic sliding past deflected off Manuel Lazzari and fell for Lukaku at the top of the box. He only needed one touch to smash his shot past Pepe Reina. That was Lukaku's 300th career goal. So Inter went into the break up a goal. Lazio got their own bit of good fortune in the second half. They won a free kick at the top of the box. Milinkovic-Savic took the free kick and it was actually really poorly struck. But because of that, it hit Gonzalo Escalante and redirected back across the goal. There was nothing Samir Handanovic could do but watch the ball cross the line in his 500th Serie A appearance no less. Inter responded immediately though. Brozovic made a great tackle on Chiro Immobile before playing the ball out to Lukaku on the wing. He ran right around Marco Parolo, who had replaced Hote at the break, before squaring to Lautaro for the tap-in. I suppose you could hate on Parolo for being too slow, or even on Inzaghi for making that change, but realistically, I don't know if anyone was going to stop Lukaku from barreling down the field. Inter's counter-attack was absolutely devastating in this match. After the third goal, Inzaghi threw up the white flag, removing Chido Immobile, who didn't do anything at all in this match, and Luis Alberto in quick succession. I also thought that Christian Eriksen had an excellent match, playing as the Mezzala in Inter's 3-5-2. He could prove to be a very important player for Inter for the balance of the season. Just like Chucky Lozano for Napoli, when a player has a turnaround like this, it can feel like they are a new signing without spending any additional cash. Moving on, Roma got a comfortable 3-0 victory over Udinese. Jordan Vertu and Pedro scored the goals. This was another dominant performance by Roma over a team in the bottom half of the table and once again it was a game that Roma had all but wrapped up in the first half. Roma were looking to get their center backs forward early on and it seemed to work. They opened the scoring less than 5 minutes into the match and one of those center backs Gianluca Mancini made a lovely play on the right wing. He dropped his shoulder to lose Wallace before playing an in-swinging cross with his left foot into a very dangerous area. Jens Strieger Larsen lost sight of Jordan Vertu and the Frenchman headed in his 8th of the season. In the 18th minute, another center back, Roger Ibanez, came close to scoring as well. He was left completely unmarked at the back post on a Roma corner kick. He miscued on the first attempt, but the ball rattled around before falling back on Ibanez's foot. He seemed to have an open shot, but Strieger Larsen did well to get across and make the block. Vertu was my man of the match. He nearly scored a second goal in the 12th minute after Torge Arslan was tackled off the ball by Vertu himself in the middle of the park. Borja Mayoral charged forward before returning the ball to Vertu on the right side of the box. He got a decent shot off, but Samir got a slight touch on the shot to slow it down, and then Juan Musso did really well to kick it out. We know that Roma are one of the best counter-attacking teams in the league, 
which we saw again on that chance. Now, the early goal really opened up the match. Udinese were actually having success getting behind Roma's backline with through balls, but they were not able to score, and with Udinese getting forward, they exposed themselves to the counter. Midway through the half, Udinese got caught again on the break. Lorenzo Pellegrini played a gorgeous ball over the top to who else? Jordan Bertu. He squared for Mkhitaryan in the area, and the Armenian just got a touch on the ball before Musso got there. Musso's momentum carried him into Mkhitaryan, and Piero Giacomelli had no choice but to award the penalty. Vertu is the dedicated penalty taker for Roma, and he showed exactly why, comfortably converting his fourth penalty of the season. Roma thought they scored their third a few minutes later. Pellegrini completed a beautiful team goal. Once again, Vertu was involved, assisting on the goal, but Mkhitaryan had clearly fouled Strieger Larsen in the buildup, so after a quick look at the monitor, Giacomelli took away the goal. That kept Udinese in the match, but despite a bright start to the second half, they only created one or two chances in the entire match. Udinese's best chance came in the 70th minute after Gerard De La Feu intercepted Brian Cristante's pass to get clear on goal. It looked to me like De La Feo's first touch may have been too heavy anyway, so he may not have scored even if he got past Lopez. Other than that and a Rodrigo De Paul free kick that missed the target, Udinese did not do anything in attack. Instead, it was Roma that scored again in the dying minutes of the match. Pedro scored with a gorgeous strike from the top of the area in his first game back from a muscle injury that caused him to miss six of Roma's previous seven league matches. Finally, Atalanta beat Cagliari 1-0 on a late goal from super sub Luis Muriel. This was another really disappointing result for Cagliari. They actually played quite well and they held their own, and perhaps a win wasn't in the cards, but they will regret not walking away with a point. Cagliari nearly opened the scoring less than two minutes into the match. Razvan Marin played an in-swinging corner kick toward the near post. Brad Jim City, who was defending the near post, nearly scored an own goal, but he cleared the ball straight into the upright and out. After that, neither team created anything in the entire half. The second half started similarly to the first, with Cagliari having an early chance. João Pedro got behind the Atalanta back line, but Bosco Sutolo did well to track back and made an excellent sliding block. While he's a decent defender, I don't think Sutolo has what it takes to play wingback for this Atalanta side. For a long time, it looked like this match was going to end in a scoreless draw. Atalanta didn't really create any chances from open play until the final 15 minutes of the match, but Giampiero Gasperini has a not-so-secret weapon on the bench. Luis Muriel came on in the 68th minute, and to their credit, Atalanta really turned up the intensity in those final 15 minutes. In the 75th minute, Duvan Zapata watched his long-range efforts sail over the bar. Then in the 83rd minute, the two Colombians nearly combined for a goal. Muriel picked out Zapata with his cross into the area, but the big number 9 rocked the bar with his header. Atalanta finally broke through in the final minute of normal time, and of course it was Luis Muriel to do it. He split between Sebastian Walukiewicz and Gabriela Zappa before firing a rocket past Alessio Cranio. Just when it seemed like the game was over, things got very interesting. Even though the fourth official indicated there would only be three minutes of stoppage time, the match official allowed play to continue into the fourth minute. With Cagliari pressing forward, Atalanta headed the ball out to safety where Zappa just barely avoided the tackle of Muriel. You could see from Gasparini's body language on the sideline that he knew if Muriel wins that tackle, that match is over. Instead, Zappa played a final desperate long ball into the area where the ball fell for Daniele Rugani at the top of the box. Martin Darun stepped in front of Rugani's shot just as he was following through 
and the penalty was given. This was pretty much the exact same play that saw Napoli awarded a penalty in the Supercoppa against Juventus. However, Serie A officiating isn't exactly the most consistent. VAR intervened and the penalty was rescinded, so we had a wild finish to what was otherwise a rather uninteresting match, and worse, Atalanta walked away with all three points. So after 22 rounds, we have a change at the top of the table with Inter surpassing Milan. Their next league match is against each other in what will be a massive, massive Derby della Madonnina. I'm very, very curious to see how Milan respond after their loss. They're a very young team, so this will be the test of all tests for them. Roma moved back into third with their win over Udinese, one point clear of Juve. So we remained 10 points back of Inter, but we're now only 9 points back of Milan. Roma are only 3 points clear of us, but we have a game in hand over the top 3 clubs. That game in hand is against Juventus, of course, so a top 4 finish is very much within our control, as we pulled within 2 points of Juve by beating them. That's why that game on Saturday was so massive. Finally, both Napoli and Atalanta drew level with Lazio on 40 points with our respective wins. So that will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll preview our Europa League clash against Granada. In part 2, we'll preview the first leg of our Europa League tie against Granada. Napoli are running into Granada at a good time. They have really struggled to deliver results since the start of the calendar year. Granada have only one win in their last seven matches in all competitions, and that was against Naval Carnero in the Copa del Rey. They are a Segunda B team, which is the third division of Spanish football. In La Liga, Granada have only one win in the calendar year. That was a 2-0 win over Osasuna on January 12th. They have three draws and four losses in the other seven Liga matches they've played in 2021. During that stretch, Granada dropped from 4th in the table to 8th, but they are not to be taken lightly. Granada pushed Barcelona to extra time in their Copa del Rey quarterfinal, and they made life very difficult for Atletico Madrid in their most recent league fixture, which was a 2-1 defeat. After that match, Sid Lowe of The Guardian and the Spanish Football Podcast described Granada in the following way. Granada are one of the most impressive teams in Spain, I think they're very well organized. I think they're the kind of team that make it difficult for you. They're not a team that necessarily wants a huge amount of possession. They're good when they break. They open the pitch out very well. I think they're brilliantly managed. That description sounds entirely anti-Napoli. They are a defense team first who are difficult to break down, and they can be very dangerous on the counter. 
Lately, it seems like when Granada score, they also concede, and when they don't concede, they also don't score. But this side has loads of talent, and despite having only 27 goals in 23 league matches, they have a number of players who can put the ball in the back of the goal. Veterans Roberto Soldado and Jorge Molina are having a bit of a renaissance at the ages of 35 and 38 respectively. Granada also have young talent in Luis Suarez, the 23-year-old Colombian, not the 34-year-old Uruguayan, and Brazilian Kennedy, who scored an absolute wonder goal against Villarreal. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Granada will be missing a lot of key players as well. They've played in a number of formations this season. They predominantly use the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-1-4-1, but occasionally they've used a 3-4-3, a 4-4-2, and a 4-5-1. I think the 4-1-4-1 fits best with the players that they will have available. Rui Silva will start in goal. I think it's safe to say that we'll see a four-man backline. Granada have only used that 3-4-3 once, and a couple of their injuries are to center backs. Fortunately for Granada, Diego Martinez has rotated his center backs quite a bit lately. For a while, German Sanchez and Dominguez Duarte were the preferred pairing, but Nahuan Perez and Jesus Vallejo have both gotten looks. That's important because German Sanchez is out, so I'll go with Duarte and Vallejo to start. Carlos Neva is the regular starter at left back, and Dimitri Fouquier is the regular right back. If Granada play in the 3-4-3, then Neva and Fouquier would play as the wing backs, and both Perez and Vallejo would play in the three-man back line. With Luis Mila hurt, I'll put Maxime Gonalons in front of the back line. With Luis Suarez injured, we should see Kennedy on the left wing and Darwin Makis on the right wing. Then, with Angel Montoro out, I think we'll see Yanhel Herrera and either Fedevico or Yanateki in the center of the midfield. Finally, with Roberto Soldado hurt, we should see Jorge Molina start again at striker. Napoli's starting 11 pretty much picks itself at this point. Alex Meret will start in goal. With Koulibaly positive and Manolas hurt, Amir Rachmania and Nikola Maksimovic will start again at center back. With Fauzi Gulam positive and Elsie Kisai hurt, Mario Rui will start at left back. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right back. For me, the midfield is the most difficult to predict. It really depends on the formation we employ. I think we've looked much better in the 4-2-3-1 since Victor Osman returned to the starting 11, so I'm going to assume that we play it again. With Diego Demme hurt, Tiamoy Bakayoko will likely start in the double pivot. I'd love to see Stanislav Lobotka give Bakayoko a rest for this match, so Bakayoko is fresh for Atalanta on the weekend, but I suspect with the 5-day break, Bakayoko will get the start. We saw Fabian Ruiz come off the bench against Juve, but that could have been a desperation substitution by Gattuso. I don't know whether Fabian is back to match fitness yet. If he isn't, then Elif Elmas probably gets the start. But if Fabian is fit to start, then I would expect him to start because Elmas is our only backup winger, so it would be wise to keep him on the bench in case we need to remove Politano or Insigne. I also think this would be a good low-risk spot for Fabian to get his touch back, so I'll take Fabian to start. The reason I don't have Piotr Zielinski in the double pivot, which is where he started last match, is because the Chucky Lozano injury changes up the attack. With Lozano 
Jano hurt, Lorenzo Insigne will move back to the left wing. There were some doubts about his health after he came out of the Juve game, but he was a full participant in training this week. With Insigne back on the left wing, Zielinski likely slides up to the number 10 spot, in behind Victor Osman at striker. Osman will have to start. On Tuesday, Napoli announced that Andrea Petania suffered a thigh injury in training. Finally, Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. The reason I like this lineup is because we could easily shift to the 4-3-3 if we need to. All we need to do is drop Zielinski back into the midfield. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to play smart. I know we have to take one game at a time, but on the weekend we have another huge match against Atalanta, another team we are competing for a Champions League spot with. With such a depleted squad, we can pretty much expect the same team we field in this match to play against Atalanta, so we'll need to find a way to win this match while expending as little energy as possible. More importantly, we need to avoid picking up any more injuries because we're quickly running out of first team players. Now, I don't know how practical it is to win without using a lot of energy or to avoid injuries. You kind of have to just play your best game and hope for the best. Most of these injuries have been muscular in nature, so there's not really much you can do to avoid them. One way to limit our energy expenditure is to score early and then protect the lead. But if we do that, I would want us to protect the lead while still keeping the ball, rather than letting Granada run at us. They have plenty of talent and they can score in a variety of ways, so I would not feel comfortable at all with a one goal lead. That brings us to the second key to the match, which is we need to score at least two goals. Now, I appreciate that may contradict the first key to the match. I'm no expert, but presumably it takes more energy to score two goals than it does to score one. But to me, it would be worth it. The first leg is in Spain, so if we can score twice, that would put us in a very strong position heading into the second leg. A 2-0 result would be ideal, but 2-1 or even 2-2 are not terrible results. Then all we would need is a low-scoring result in the second leg at the Maradona. The final key to the match is we need to be careful not to get caught on the counterattack. I mentioned Sid Lowe's comments at the top of this segment, Granada will make sure they are organized at the back, especially with their missing players. That means they will be very difficult to break down. They are also very good in transition. That makes me very worried about having Bakayoko and Fabian in the double pivot, which in itself might be a reason to start Elmas over Fabian, or for playing the 4-3-3 instead of the 4-2-3-1. This is another reason why it's important to score twice, because if we get caught on the counter and concede a goal, we can still walk away with a win. Of course, we could get caught on the counter multiple times and concede more than once, but hopefully we don't, and hopefully we score at least two. The head official for this match is Sergei Karasev. He's officiated two Napoli matches in Europe in the past, both in the Champions League. The first was a 3-2 win over Marseille in 2013, and the second was a 3-2 loss to Besiktas in 2016. His assistants are Igor Demeshko and Maxim Gavrilin. The fourth official is Vladimir Moskalev, and Vitaly Meshkov is on the VAR, assisted by Sergei Ivanov. For my prediction, I'll go with a 2-1 Napoli win on goals from Lorenzo Insigne and Victor Osimhen, and I'll give the lone Granada goal to Kennedy. As depleted as we are with injuries, our starting 11 is still full of quality. I think we'll be playing with a lot of confidence after the big win over Juventus. Insigne, Rachmani, and Maksimovic in particular should be feeling very good about themselves after that game, and especially for our centre-backs, consistent playing time will actually do them some good. 
Granada have a decent amount of depth as well, so I don't think this will be a dominant performance by any stretch, but I think they will suffer more with the losses that they have to their squad than we will suffer with the losses we have to our squad. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the latest episode of Fortsanopoly Worldwide with Benjamin. I think you're really going to enjoy that one. I'm hoping to also record another episode of Fortsanopoly Worldwide after the Atalanta match. We'll preview that match later in the week, as well as review this Europa League match against Granada, and we'll get you caught up on all the latest news. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.